newclevelandradio.net, and it is time for Avoid the Maze. Now, we really can't avoid the maze because that's what life is all about. Um, you know, so many of us think that, oh, I have this plan, and I've been told that if I sort of put it in a um, worksheet of some sort, and say, do this, do this, do this. My life is going to be perfect. Um, however, life around us happens. And so there is no perfection. However, when you're in that maze, just take a step back, look around, be mindful where you are, and remember some of the information that others have shared with you about how they get through their daily life. Uh, my guest today is Jody Wellman, and one of the things that excited me so much in her bio, and I have her whole bio in front of me, and I'm not going to read it, because um, I'm going to suggest that you go to her website afterwards, but she talks about how making your life non-boring, and how many times have we said to somebody, I'm bored. I used to do it a lot. In fact, my mother had a great uh, answer when my brothers and I said we were bored. She said, see that wall over there? Yeah. Go knock your head against it once or twice. And believe me, you won't be bored anymore. You'll knock some sense into yourself and you'll find excitement. Um, we listened way too many times and I think we lost a few brain cells in in the days. But what she was saying is, be mindful. Go find something. So, Jody, how did you get to this stage of your life? And now you're sharing this information with your clients and all of those like myself who want to listen. Mm, well, thank you for asking and having me on your show. And... You know, I think if I was to word it in a way that might sound dramatic, it's that I feel like now that I've really grabbed hold of what I believe and what I think can be helpful to other people, I feel like I just can't not, you know, I can't not yeah. sort of scream this from the mountaintops and want to help us make the most of our existence because darn it, it's temporary, you know, and grab hold of it. And, you know, I say undead our lives back to the point you were making about, you know, not being bored. And so I, it was a circuitous path, you know, like most of us, it's never totally direct. Um, you know, my work for 17 years corporately um, was good and fine. And then I switched into leadership development and coaching and that was good and fine and great. And, but all this time I'd have this undercurrent of the topic of mortality as a motivator. I realize those two words don't usually go together in a sentence. <laughs> Mortality does not usually seemingly motivate most people right. to live, but uh, we can talk more about that. It was always there for me. You know, I've always been fascinated. You know, I lost my mom when she was in her fifties and it's been something that has just struck me in the work that I do. And then in going to grad school at university of Pennsylvania for the masters of applied positive psychology program. I mean, this whole topic is about let's live life fully and yet here I am looking around like, yeah, we want to live life fully. I'm going to like, that's the point. But are we, wait, are we all not hyper aware of the fact that we have a limited amount of time to live in a way that actually matters to us? And so 
that just feels incredible to me. I don't think we're talking enough about it. And oh my gosh, I'm just excited to talk more and more about it. Well, you know, I do think um, the excitement to talk mortality is not as black as so many people think because the more involved we are, the more excited we are, typically the better our health, which means we're going to be around longer. Um, you know, every once in a while, my husband will make the comment um, like, well, we don't want to move now. Um, how long do you think we're going to be able to live there? Whatever that is. And I'll look at him and go, hmm. 10, 15, 20 years, and it'll go, no, we're getting older. Okay. But we haven't hit that point no. that we're no longer here. So as long as we're here, why aren't we doing the things that excite us? Okay. Mm -hmm. And I'm not telling my listeners that you got to go out and spend money. That's mm -hmm. not it at all. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's how do I make this moment, you know, exciting for me? Hmm. And there are ways. Mm -hmm. um, I will just preface it by saying five to 10 minutes before every podcast, mm -hmm. I'm sitting here thinking, you know what? Maybe they won't show up today. Oh, well, I could go take that nap or I could go have that extra cup of tea. Um, <laughs> And I keep thinking about all these things that I think I want to do. But as soon as we start, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm even more excited that they showed up because I get to live for another hour. Oh, oh that's just music to my ears. You know what you reminded me of? I'm a bit of an introvert. And every time I make a social date to do a lunch with a friend or a dinner with friends or whatever, I'm always dreading it. Because it means I'm leaving my comfortable cocoon of the fleece blanket on the couch. And and then, but when I go, it's always, oh, this is good. And I come back happy. So that's right. That's the spirit of living. And you're touching on something that I think is instrumental. It's that um, we're not necessarily, I think either one of us proposing, you know, to live a life that feels dreadful in pursuit of something good. But it's what I call just saying yes to life. You know, it's the stuff that the better part of us, because we all have that wise inner part of us. Sometimes it's deep, deep down, but yeah. it's in there. <laughs> that version of ourselves does know, you know, I know that it, I'm I'm better if I have a few social engagements or for you. I know that my day is better when I, when I do a podcast recording, or I know I'm better if I just get up and go for that walk, or if I just go for that flute lesson or, 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 and, and so it's about saying yes to the things that in the moment you might be feeling a little inertia based, don't want to go, but that's how we become highly functioning zombies is because we do get out of the habit of new and interesting routines. So yeah, say yes, say yes to the podcast, say yes to the invitation to go for Thai food tonight, say yes to as much as you can without exhausting yourself. Exactly. So you said you were in corporate America for 17 years. Mm -hmm. You said it was good. Mm -hmm. But the way you said it, it was, it was good. You were, you had a job, you were making money, you were doing what people are supposed to do. Yeah. <laughs> so what was the catalyst that finally said to you in the 17th year, 
um, <laughs> I think I need to leave. Oh man. I love, Oh, I love, hate this question. It's so good. <laughs> okay. Let me tell you, I have what I think of. It's like the stapler story. So uh, before I left my corporate role, I was sitting at my desk in the corporate office tower. And I was um, working at my desk and stapling some pages together. And all of a sudden my, you know, stapler ran out of staples. No big deal. But I look through my drawers. I don't have a row of staples. I go to the supply closet. I get the staple box and I open it up. And as I'm loading my stapler, I said to myself, I better not be here by the time this row of staples is used up. And for some reason, I found it strangely buoyant and I felt pretty good about myself, clicked the stapler back shut, went back to my desk and proceeded to, you know, do my job, which was again, was fine. And what happened was I did diddly squat about it. And so a year later, I was stapling more stuff together and my stapler ran out and, oh, that hurt. Because it was this reminder of, I said I was going to be out of here. But really what I was just looking for was someone to throw me a lifeline, which is a very passive way to live life. Right. Right. Exactly. And and that doesn't usually work. I mean, every now and then you might get a random, you know, something may happen, but I didn't do the work. And then, so I did the same thing. I reloaded the stapler and said, no, but for real this time, I'm going to be out of here by the time these staples are out. <laughs> and then I, and then it ran out again, like around a year later and so the last couple of years, I was definitely feeling that disenchantment and also disappointment in myself because I wasn't taking the steps to change. So I finally started working with a career coach and I finally started figuring out what might be my exit plan. And that feels so empowering because we often feel stuck in our situations, right? Like I was stuck with the trappings of success. It was a lot harder for me to feel like I could leave. Oh the money, the title, the, 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 you know, I knew what I was doing, even though I was kind of bored, but there's light and there's life on the other side of, of the things when you know, you're in a space that is in any way robbing you of aliveness. Oh man, you know what? Go through the difficulty of finding your path, but when you do, it is so worth it. Right. You know, it's interesting that you talk about, you know, your job was good. You're mm -hmm. doing the things you had to do. Um, after several jobs, I finally uh, got into corporate America, so to speak. Um, I was working at a college. Um, I was working with students, making sure that if they were going to enroll, they were enrolling in the right classes. They understood financial aid, loved what I was doing. I hated the culture because the mm -hmm. culture was you're supposed to see so many students a day and you're supposed to get those students to enroll. But I realized from day one, the school wasn't for everybody. And some of the people were sitting across from me needed something other than what we had to offer. And that was the part that I loved. Okay. I was coaching without realizing I was coaching. Yeah. Yeah. And I did it for just short of 10 years. But at the 10 year mark, um, I was coming into work, hating every moment of it, but I was working longer hours. Mm. Um, my family was suffering. Mm. Uh, 
I walked around and in my head, I kept saying, I love my husband, but I'm not in love with him right now. Mm-hmm. And I kept saying right now, because I knew mm-hmm. I could get back to it, but didn't know how. And I went out on medical leave and I finally left. And I remember saying to my husband, you know, I love what I did, but I, I, I can't go back. It's making me miserable. And he looked at me and said, well, now I understand. And he said, you've got to quit. But I was the major breadwinner. How, how do you do that? You have a son who's attending your college for free because you're the breadwinner. My husband was working, but it just, I felt guilty. Yeah. But as soon as he said, mm-hmm. will this make you happier? I was so afraid to say yes, because mm-hmm. I didn't know what that was going to look like. Mm-hmm. But for me, what it looked like was, I don't have to deal with that anymore. Now I'm going to go find me. And similar to you, I was talking to coaches along the way saying, you know, should I go get myself checked into a psych ward? Because I mean, what crazy person does this? And they would look at me and go, well, you're not crazy. In fact, you are normal and get on with life. And I was getting on with life at the age of 60. So mortality, yeah, it's there somewhere. But I'm living today and I want to enjoy life. Oh, oh, I love that. And I like how you're a good example of how there's no age where we just throw in the towel. You know, is that we're always able to reinvent ourselves. Right. Uh, We're always able to learn something new, to pick up and move to a new location. Let's, let's, let's get your husband in here uh, to, <laughs> to find a new hobby, to totally change our hair, our makeover. I mean, we, we get to, we get to become different versions of ourselves and research is very clear that the more we can envision what those best possible selves are about ourselves and evolve and become them. And that if we envision that as we age, it actually ends up being protective as a factor for not just happiness as we age, but even longevity. So yeah, keep on living and not delaying the living, which is what many of us do, right? Is that I'll get to that later, but hold up. Cause we all know people who haven't gotten their chance, right? They've been snuffed out too young or they get there and they're not able-bodied anymore to climb the steps at the Trevi fountain that yeah. they waited to get to when they retired. But now they're like, I, I, I just got to stay in the hotel, right? Yeah. Or I got to, I'm not even going to fly there. So living now, I think is instrumental too. It's like all the things that we long to do. I like, I'm a big fan of reflecting and then making a list and then pick one thing that jazzes you up. Pick one thing and it's going to probably be that thing that has like the take your breath away excitement, but also fear. Because you said it a second ago, you wanted to make a change and you, but you were afraid to say yes to it because oh. it meant uncertainty and it means possible fear of failure and rejection and all sorts of feelings. But you know what? What's worse? Those, those temporary feelings now or the feeling of getting to the end or near the end and feeling like, man, I had so many paths that I didn't take that I really wished that I had. Because again, life's too short. 
Well, and I've, I started seeing it all around me. Mm. So it wasn't just what I was going through, but I heard younger individuals who I was working with saying, I don't want to be here for the rest of my life. Mm. You know, and I didn't have the courage to ask them because I figured, oh, they've got so much more time. Mm. But it wasn't until my son, who at the time was just about 21, mm. he said to me, mom, you don't have to be miserable. And I said, was that how you see me? And he goes, I'm not sure I see you as miserable, but you're doing, doing, doing. And you're admitting that you're not growing. He said, mm-hmm. so what would it take? And I hate, hated him for asking me that question because at that po- moment in life, I didn't know. Um, but the stupid word that came out of my mouth was, mm-hmm. I want to be happy. Uh, and he said, well, don't expect me to make you happy. And boy, it was, oh, I have to do it. It's not about you. It's about me. And not that I am selfish in that way, but if somebody will ask me to do something and I know it's not going to complete me in any way, and it's not life or death, I'm not learning to say no. And sometimes just saying no makes me happy. Mm-hmm. Instead of always saying yes, and like he saw me, you know, I was working, I was doing everything, not asking for any help, and you know, I was burdened, but I did yeah. it to myself. Right? Yeah, over yesing with good intention. But I like what you said a second ago about no makes you happy, and I think that that's one of the secrets to a well-lived life. Is that there's this idea I think about ruthlessly editing it. And, you know, being super clear about what is the stuff that lights my fire? What is the stuff that does make me feel alive? That's, of course, in my language, life and death. That's the way I like to word it. When am I most alive? What are the things when I'm doing them or who in my life, when I talk to them or I go out with them, am I feeling just the most engaged and interested and laughing or whatever matters to you? We got to notice that first. And then again, back to the list, another list. Yeah. Once you see that, it's like, well, this is my prescription for a really good life. And similarly, what's the stuff that I'm doing that is dragging me down, making me feel flatlined? Uh, or so that's obviously your invitation to edit sure. some of those things out or do less of them. Um, but similarly, there are areas of our lives where sometimes we are feeling like we're in the dead zone. And it's not because of stuff we're doing that we wish we weren't. It's just because sometimes we're actually not doing things like maybe for the fun and recreation kind of category of life. If we're feeling like we're not having as much fun as we feel like we really deep down want to, maybe that's the opportunity to say, I think I need to turn the dial up here. And what could be a new kind of hobby I could engage in or what might make me feel like. I'm living again. And so that's the opportunity I think is to then start nosing around. Oh, I might want to go and try that sketching class or wow, it might be kind of neat to take that. I don't know, sushi rolling class. You get the idea, but again, back to the saying yes to life. So how do clients find you? Because, you know, there are so many coaches 
mm. around. Mm. Although there are a great number of people who have no idea what a coach really is. Mm. Uh, and, you know, I've devoted a number of the podcasts trying uh, to get that word out. Uh, and then I saw people who will write it and say, so what does the coach do? Yeah. Uh, but it's become a career field and more abundant today than it was even 10, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. So what do you think changed for people now to be seeking a coach rather than mm -hmm. a therapist or mm -hmm. deciding, hey, I have to be miserable the rest of my life? <laughs> right. Well, I think that there's some contagion going on. And that's that when it starts to circulate more often and you know that, oh, my neighbor mentioned <clears throat> working with a coach. Well, that, what could that look like for me? Or you know, maybe your workplace provides it, or it's just becoming so much more of a common thing, right? There, there can be a different flavor to coaching, maybe compared to therapy. And I think thankfully therapy has lost a lot of the stigma that it had for, right. you know, many decades. Thankfully now it's, you know, again, it's, um, it's perfectly cool. It's actually sometimes the cool thing to do is to, you know, go, go to your therapy session. I think coaching, you know, by definition is typically about people who are already at a generally healthy level of functioning and, and coaching's about taking it up however many notches you want. And I think that that has a certain sort of spark and allure for people that do want to make more from life. And that can be, that's attractive, right? So as more people talk about it, know about it, hear about it, experience it, it's a great way to, to, to pass the word on. Now I don't do as much one-on-one -on -one coaching as I used to just because my focus has changed, but I do find that you are right that a lot of people are still a little bit unsure about, well, what would that even look like and how does it work? Because it is confusing, right? Everybody does it differently. So it's not like there is a standard model. Oh, absolutely. You, yeah. you are so right there. One of the ways I try to explain it um, as a coach advocate is think of a baseball coach. Mm -hmm. Think of your kids who are taking, uh, who are playing baseball and some of them are just there because, Hey, you, they, you, signed up your kid okay so they don't care if they're picking weeds out in the outfield or not but the coach is there to identify things in the team and help that team get better and hopefully win a few games um which i it takes me back to my son's little league days that my son developed a love for baseball around the age of three, but not just a love. He studied it. He would watch it on TV and he would say, why did he swing at that? It wasn't in the right place. So now he's a young kid and we sign him up for baseball because he says he wants to play. And he, he's telling them that the rules are wrong because he wants to be like, what he sees on TV, like major league TV. And it was his sophomore year in high school. He was on the baseball team and the ref says to him, why aren't you swinging at the ball? He said, because they're nowhere near me. I'm not going to swing just to swing. He said, the rules are in high school baseball, you must attempt to swing. And with that, 
He took off his helmet. He dropped his bat. And he said, I will never play baseball with you ever again. And, you know, I looked at his coach and I said, afterwards, did you ever discuss to him that this is not major league baseball? These are the rules. And he goes, Oh no, because he knows so much more than me. He did not guide him, which was uh, the sad part uh, because if he had been guided, yeah, he would have done it the way, you know, you're supposed to play it. He would have understood it. He would have seen, Oh, and that changes when I go to college and that changes if I go to a farm team. And today he talks about that with young students and says, mm -hmm. if you don't have the right coach, mm. find another team to play for. Mm. Hmm. What a story. Yeah. Wow. Principled kid. <laughs> yes. He has very high principles. <laughs> Is he still into baseball? Um, actually, he worked for a baseball team for five years. Uh, now he's still in the sports arena. Uh, not with baseball, um, but, you know, he, he understands, he can see things that mm. most people can't. One mm. of the teams he's working for happens to be a lacrosse team. Mm. And be, the two weeks before he took the job, he studied everything he could about lacrosse. And he sees the things that are good on the field and the things that are mistakes and that's not his job. Mm -hmm. Okay. But he's up in the stands working and it's mm -hmm. like, uh, wait a second. I'm going to talk to you guys about this. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it takes, it takes a person to be able to say, Hey, either these are my limitations or I want the world. Yeah. And he finally has gotten to the point. I want the world. I want to oh. see it. And I want to be part of it. Mm. Mm. That's beautiful. So when you left corporate America, did you just like flip the switch? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You did. You I did. Ready. Yeah. Yeah. I had registered for a coach training program and then jumped in into the deep end uh, and started working in CEO peer advisory boards, leading them and putting them together. That was a lot of fun herding cats, <laughs> uh, working with teams and groups and I uh, went through a phase where I had a fabulous business partner and we would do work corporately together, you know, helping leaders and, you know, through coaching or group programs and uh, really, really great. And I didn't anticipate that my path would further change because I had been stuffing down the topic that I've loved that I referred to earlier, right? Sure. This whole yeah. memento mori, which means remember we must die. This topic was always something that caught me and it captivated me. And it also scared me because I didn't know how to do it's back to the story about when I was feeling itchy in my job and I didn't know how to leave. I also had this passion that I couldn't really explain. And that I also didn't know how to make real to bring it to life. And that had its own set of tensions because how do I make a thing out of talking about the grim reaper and how he can be helpful and how do I, and, and especially because I was doing work with corporate groups. And I felt right. like, well, they're not going to want to hear about this. And now, of course, I realized I was telling myself a story with yeah. that. Um, but I, uh, for me, it was when I went to grad school and I started to research it, that it made me feel a little more legit. I think that's what it was. You know, I felt like there's, wait a sec, 
look at all the journals on death studies and look at all this stuff. There's, there's a ton of research out there about where I could gather why it was that reflecting on the end can be valuable for the life we're currently living. And so that made me feel like I had a jetpack underneath me and I just blasted off and started 4,000 Mondays, which uh, absolute labor of love, call it what you want to call it. But you know, you know, you know, when you know you're in the right place. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So what I find so interesting is that most of the coaches that I've talked to um, have gone through some experience Mm -hmm. that really drew them to their passion, their purpose. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I started podcasting, um, my first series of shows were basically about um, elder care and adult children and why because i had an elder mother who uh, had lived on her own for about six years after my dad passed away did very well she hid the fact that she was having many strokes and she finally had a mini stroke where the doctor finally said can we have your car keys please because you're never driving again you can do everything else you want to do but I'm not letting you drive because if you have a mini stroke, not only may you kill yourself, but you may kill somebody else. Mm. And she just dug into her purse. She handed over the keys and said, yeah, I'm not going to be the one who kills somebody. Now, killing herself at that point, I don't think was as much of a concern for her. Mm. But when she handed over her keys and then she lived in an independent village for a while and that went well. And then she got sick, she had a major stroke and I went and lived with her for two months. Mm -hmm. And during those two months, I learned so much about elder care and all the things that we were doing wrong that we had to fix. Um, And that's where my passion began. Mm -hmm. But it has since gone to, there's so many other things in life that we don't have enough knowledge about. Mm-hmm. Okay. Somebody just said to me the other day, we prepare for birth. We do not prepare for death. And whether it's our own or someone else's, we always act like we're shocked. Mm-hmm. Or when the doctor comes to tell you how sick you are, you look at him and go, oh, that can't be me. You're talking to the patient in the other bed. And so- because coaches find that inner feeling, they birth it. Mm. And that's what I think is so exceptional mm-hmm. about you and so many others is that mm. you're talking about a subject mm. that is so important to you. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for saying that. Yeah, you're making me think. Thanks for also sharing the story of your your mom. And it sounds like it might've had some tough times. And, um, you know, with, with my mom passing, the biggest striking point was my belief that she died with a lot of regrets, you know, that she didn't take action on a lot of the dreams that she had started to, you know, she started to write manuscripts, you know, she wrote, she do, she drew cartoons, she started business plans. And there were so many things that she 
didn't have the confidence and, and possibly resources, but mostly confidence to pull the trigger on. And that was a just a giant shining light for me of, whoa, 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 you know, here you are, honey bunny, languishing in a job that is good and fine and all, but you're itchy, like scratch the itch, find your way out, live a life that may take you down multiple paths and you may need to retrace your steps and go down a new path, but that's life. Like give it a go. And that was a real highlight. So the, you know, the, the witnessing my mom and her coulda, shoulda, wouldas was big. Yep. And, you know, I was struggling with eating disorders for a decade. And a lot of that coincided, of course, with my disenchantment at work and feeling that sense of stuckness and lack of control. And so, you know, eating disorders can provide a, the illusion of Absolutely. control, right? And so that for me also, of course, is a signal of, you know, when I saw it with perspective over time of, oh, I am actually hindering my alive and it's only getting all this great fabulous help in this right like you know dampening our experience whether it's because like you started off our conversation today you know through boredom because we don't have you know the right kind of schedule lined up in front of us of stuff that might give us a shot at more joy or coping mechanisms like whether it's too much drinking or eating disorders or over shopping, or, you know, there are many, many ways many we can try to numb. Um, and that does deaden our experience of being alive. And I just, oh man, I want to put my arms around all the people out there that are experiencing anything that is deadening. Because again, like I got 1,889 Mondays to go. Like I cannot afford to have any of them be deadened because of stuff that I'm doing. You know, external stuff, yeah. fine. Do what you're going to do. And I'm going to try to, you know, be resilient and brace myself for it. But I can't be the one responsible for having a week or month that I squandered because I didn't do anything fun or joyful or because I numbed myself or because, you know, I was too afraid to take action on a goal that really mattered, but I was just too scared. Pshaw, let's take action. Well, and you know, when I was going through this in the beginning, my husband loves comedy of any kind. He'll sit and listen to every comedy station on Cirrus when he's driving. And then he comes home and turns it on in his computer. Um, but he started on a weekly basis. In beginning, he was dragging me to the comedy club. And I'd say, I don't want to go. Yeah, you know, laughing isn't going to help me. And... The first time we went, I enjoyed it. We got back in the car and then I flipped the switch. Did that for a couple of times until one evening I got into the car and I said, don't let me flip the switch. And he looked over at me and he goes, what are you talking about? I said, I haven't allowed myself to keep enjoying what you've been doing for me. And that's when I started looking at him and realizing not only do I like my husband and love him, I'm falling in love with him because mm -hmm. look what we're doing together. Mm -hmm. Look what I get to experience. Mm -hmm. And the following week, 
we decided just to listen to it on the computer. So I realized you don't have to take me out of the house to the comedy club, spend the money. That's not what is making me happy. Okay. What's making me happy, whether I like the jokes or not, mm-hmm. it's the fact that somebody's trying to make me laugh. And so I'm going to laugh. And then I started reading about laugh therapy. And I have a friend who actually is certified in laugh therapy. And so I called her up one day and I said, talk to me about the science behind this. I need to know because it's fantastic. So I now find that, you know, if I'm at that point before a podcast and I've got this dull feeling like, I'm really not in the mood. I think I've got a headache. Oh, who wants to go through this? I'll start laughing at myself for saying those things Mm -hmm. so that when we start the podcast, that's Mm. in the past. It doesn't mean mean anything. But we are allowed to get down and crabby at times because if we're always laughing and smiling, um, I don't think that's real. Yeah, there are drugs involved. Yeah. So... Tell our listeners how they can find you and, um, you know, what you might be able to do. Because you say that you're really doing more group or Mm. business trainings now. Yeah, well, thank you for asking. And so most of the stuff that I get to get jazzed up by is in speaking and presenting. So if it's at a conference, like the keynoting or workshops, right? So doing a one, two or three hour workshop on digging into this and helping people live wider with vitality, deeper with meaning. And so that is just oh, so much fun and so much joy and so much, I think, difference making, if I do say so myself. Right. And so I can be found over at 4000mondays.com. And uh, yeah, and there's also when you go to the website, you know how most people hate pop-ups? I hate pop-ups. But please don't hate my pop-up because what will pop up is a quiz called the How Alive or Dead Are You quiz. And that can help diagnose for you uh, where you are today in the sort of zone of feeling alive versus dead zone versus there are five different options you might fall into. So that's always that's always uh, fun and informative. I love that. Wow. This week I have learned so much and I'm taking so many freebie things to find out about myself um and certain ones i know not to take too seriously um others i've written down and uh my next coach coaching session which actually is after this recording mm-hmm. i then will discuss some of those things in the coaching session just to see if i'm trying to adapt them just because i learned about mm-hmm. them or yeah. if it's something adaptable for me oh i love that well, it has been a pleasure, Jody, talking to you today. Thank you so very much. All Jody's information will be in the show notes. So please um, don't say that we didn't give you the information because it will be right there. Have a great day. Thank you.